0: Thank you for downloading this message from Roots Community Church. We pray that you are encouraged by the word. If you're looking for more information, please visit us at rccphoenix.com. We've been in a series called Stop the Bleeding, and it's about hurt. It's about getting over hurt and wounds and things that um, have happened to us in our life. And up until this point, the, the, uh, the messages have been general. Because every the cause of every person's hurt can be very individual The 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 thing that caused a wound for me may not be the same for you The thing that caused a wound for you may not be the same for your neighbor or even somebody in your own family The cause of the wound has not been the subject recovering from it has been the focus so when we talk about recovering from these wounds, I've been speaking in real general terms so that we can have an idea of how, no matter what caused the wound, we can get we can help get over it, but not just push it off and get over it and just, you know, push past it and forget it, but actually heal so that we can go forward in obedience to what God is calling us to do. If he's put something in front of us to do, um, I, I, we use the analogy of almost like a mountain, if you're going to go, you know, climbing up a mountain and you have a giant uh, a knife wound that's open on your leg and you're bleeding all over the place, you're not going to make it very far. And a lot of people want to obey where God's leading them, but because of a wound, what's happening is they're unable to or unwilling to when the pain begins to surface. Because he is going to ask you to confront that thing before he puts you in another place. Why? Because when you minister to someone else, he wants you to do it from a position of wholeness and healing, not uh, from a position of bleeding all over them. That's not gonna help them. So today, because we are in a church setting and anytime, anywhere we gather, we are the church. because um, Because we're the church, I'm going to deal specifically with one particular wound or one cause of a wound that almost every single person in this building today, in our home today, has experienced. I know it because I know probably every single one of you. We've had discussions with every single one of you that this has happened to you in some way, shape, or form. And if I haven't heard this directly from you, I probably have lived long enough to know that there's probably a wound that's happened that is similar to you and to me and to everybody in this room. And this is church hurt. Church caused wounds. That's what we're dealing with today. We're specifically dealing with that one because we are a church. There's other wounds and other hurts and other things that you can that um, that we have sustained, but I want to make sure today that we address the elephant in the room because some people just want to push past it and not talk about it. People don't want to bring up the, uh, the the frustration they don't want to bring up the pain anymore um, in their life. they've lived with it long enough they don't want to be reminded of it. they would just rather look the other way, and the goal today is not to just to, to pull out the, you know, the, the biggest hurtful thing that you have and make you weep on the floor. That's not the goal of the, of the, the message today. <clears throat> the goal is to help you heal because every single person in this room has experienced this to one degree or another. Some of us have experienced it in a very, like in a passing way, it was kind of hurtful, but you didn't really get the full brunt. And other people you fell on the grenade so to speak you took the full blast you took the full thing i was exposed to this as a teenager early in my life Um, i'm not going to go through the whole story because i've told it a couple times here over the last several years before but as a summary my father who was a board member of a church that we went to from the time i was five until i was 16 um, was very very involved our family was very involved at in the church. We were there every time the doors were open and the doors were closed. We were the first ones in last one out we volunteered for everything. We were always there. Anybody else fit that description? Almost everybody else in this room. My dad desperately wanted to be in the ministry he desperately wanted to be in the ministry for um, for most of his life, wanted to deal with young people. And he informed the pastor that we were, we were sitting under that um, he wanted to do that, but he never brought it up. Year after year goes by, there's not a word about it. And then my dad, who's the head deacon, um, finds out through a series of events that the pastor is stealing money um, from the offer. He took a lot of money over an extended period of time almost a hundred thousand dollars um that's a lot of money in today's standards but this was back in the you know the, the stone ages in the 80s <coughs> when there was you know jelly shoes and neon clothes right um but um uh it was worth even more then it was uh, your dollar went much further in the 80s than it does today if you did not know that it did it uh, it went further a year ago than it did now Saw a meme this week that showed a $10 bill that these new $1 bills will cost them. Yeah, it's because they buy less. He got the joke, thank you. <clears throat> but my dad caught the guy who the pastor stealing money and confronted him. Pastor freaked out, screamed, yelled, hollered, threw things, went nuts, acted a complete fool, and uh, you know, just said all kinds of hurtful things and So he called my dad the next day and said, can I meet with you? And he came and met with him and he said, hey, I um, I know what we talked about yesterday and I apologize. I kind of freaked out a little bit here, but um, didn't you tell me a while ago that you wanted to be in the ministry? Didn't you tell me that there was a job that you wanted to do your whole life? And we never really had an opening, but... We have an associate pastor opening now, and if you want to take that job, I would be happy to give it to you, give you a good salary, and the only thing I'm asking is that this other thing that you have discovered would just fall by the wayside." He bribed him, tried to bribe him. Can you you imagine being forced to choose between your dream and your integrity? by the person who's supposed to be your protecting and teaching and leading loving shepherd. Send my dad in a tailspin because he didn't choose it and never got an opportunity to do ministry ever again in his life. I remember sitting at the sound booth as a kid, wanting desperately to stand up and scream and I was running sound and turned off all the mics and as they read the church vote and announced that the pastor would stay I went down to the front and stood in front of the mic and yelled as loud as I could, hey, and I was going to ask everybody why they were so happy that the church just split. Because the people were cheering and shouting and screaming, the cancer has been removed. Talking about the Poole family. My dad yanked me to the ground and drugged me back to the pew and said, son, it's no point. And I broke because... My entire world had been there. All the youth camps, all the children's services, all the donations, all the sacrifices, the Christmas tree lots, the, everything that we did. It was a deep, defining wound for me that it took me a very long time to get over because I decided at that point, if this is what all y'all church folks are about, I don't want nothing to do with y'all. And I allowed my wound to dictate the next three years of my life. <clears throat> you might expect something like that in a dog-eat-dog, corporate America style, you know, climbing the ladder to try to get the top position kind of environment, but no one, nobody, at least in my family, figured that the church would be the place that happened. See, I assumed that my pastor was safe. I assumed my church staff was trustworthy. I assumed that the church people wouldn't stab me in the back. I assumed Christians would actually act like Christ. And when they didn't, uh, to rub salt in the wound, uh, the pastor and his staff spent the next three days, or several days, calling all the churches in the area who were all his friends of the same denomination, saying, hey, if you have a family come through to visit in the pool family, uh, don't let them stay. And they didn't. He didn't just want a wound, he wanted to turn the knife. See, that corporatist idea that the American church has been built on for a long time has devastated many of the faithful. Many. And when I say the faithful, I'm talking about the people I'm looking at. Because I know how much you've been involved. I know how much you've given. I know how much you've sacrificed. I know how much time and effort and energy and finances and stuff that you've poured in throughout the years, here, somewhere else. I understand what that's like, and I got a really good sense. Although the specifics of our woundings are different, the results of them are the same. I wish I would have known that um, the idea of people acting foul inside the church isn't a new thing. I was led to believe that when I go to church, this is the safe place, this is the good place, this is the place, and it's trying to be those things, but the church is filled with people. And as long as there are people, there are going to be some fool, some stupid, some person who says some offensive, and it will probably come uh, uh, from the guy who talks the most. And in this context, it's probably me. I wish I would have known that the pastor that I was stood in attention when he came by because it was the pastor. I wish I would have known he was just a guy serving people. I wish I would have known that I always thought he like floated and just moved his feet to kind of make me not feel as inferior. You know what I mean? Because I walked and he would just kind of hover. Because we would just looked at him like, oh. Ah. I wish they would have told me that he's just a guy trying his best to serve God. Failing in some instances. But that's not how it's portrayed to me. It was portrayed to me that I found heaven and utopia here on earth. And this is how it's going to be. And that set me up for even worse pain. When I go back to Scripture, I found that there's a whole bunch of people that were corrected at the beginning of the church. First signing your notes is Paul. Paul, the Apostle Paul. Yes, the one who wrote more than a third of the New Testament, that Paul. Paul had to tell the church folks in Corinth, like the book of Corinthians, the church folks in Corinth not to participate in sexually immoral acts that were worse than the Gentile unbelievers, including accepting someone in their fellowship who was openly sleeping with his stepmother. You don't talk about scandalous and foul. He told them that what you're doing is worse than the unbelieving Gentiles. The Gentiles in that time had, were pantheistic. They had more than a hundred different gods. And two of the most worshipped gods were Baal, which is the god of money and prosperity, and the god of Asherah, which is the one of fertility, sensuality, and sex. And they would do all kinds of crazy, immoral, sexual things to worship the God of Asherah. And he's telling them what y'all are doing in here is more foul than what they're doing out there. Cut it out. Next, per, next line you know is Timothy, the young pastor that Paul trained. Timothy had to openly push back on false teachers that were in his church who tried to convince other church folks of unscriptural beliefs. Peter, the disciple that walked with Jesus, that swore he never would deny him, but denied him three times. He walked out on the water, and when he lost sight of Jesus, began to sink. That Peter had to correct Christians in five different provinces who were going back to living in their old sinful ways, disrespecting their spiritual leaders and acting in vengeance toward others just to name a few. These people inside the church were going back to the sins that they were committing before they got saved. Last one, Jesus. <clears throat> Jesus himself even expressed displeasure to an entire city of believers in the book of Revelation. Revelation. He sternly rebuked them because they were compromising their faith, choosing immoral lifestyles, and were focused on money. When I read these things, my first thought was, wait a minute. I recognize these. I recognize them today. They started way back when the church was first the, um, what was first founded in all these cities and all this nonsense was going on. And my first thought was, wait a minute, hey, are, have we not matured? Have we not grown as a church? Have we not gone further than this? And then I realized I was acting as if we all lived during that time and grew and understood. And the reason that some of these issues continue in the body of Christ is because they're people issues not specifically church issues we got people today that are involved in sexual practices that are accepted in the world and sometimes worse we got people in church today who are telling people to affirm those who live alternative lifestyles and to accept them because we just have to do all of that We got people today who are returning to their sinful ways, disrespecting their spiritual leaders, acting in revenge and vengeful and vengeance. We got people today who are compromising their faith just to find a way to earn another buck off of people, even here in church. All of those things that existed then still exist today because in the old church, there were people, and in the modern church, there are people. the church is not a gathering place for people to remember how bad they used to be it's not the people who figured it out and all, all it is that people have figured out that they're sinners and need a savior and now they need to be discipled and grow and have deeper roots in jesus and to produce fruit as they grow in him it's a gathering of believers who draw closer to Jesus to the teaching of God's word, godly relationships, biblical encouragement, honest prayer and real accountability. These four examples that I just gave you of Paul, of Timothy, of Peter, of Jesus in scripture, they let us know that the experience with church was imperfect then and as it is now. It's an admission that church people are in fact people and people have full potential to sin, succumb to temptation and possibly hurt either, each other. I want to be real clear about this. Just because it happens inside the church as well as outside the church doesn't mean that the wounds sustained from other believers are acceptable. They are not. I don't want to dismiss the fact of how it knocked you off course because it knocked me off course, way off course. It did it again when I sustained two more of these desperate wounds with people I looked up to as spiritual fathers and grandfathers. It was brutal. What we have to do is still use the discernment and the wisdom that God has given us the Spirit of God that lives inside of us, that guides us, we need to still use that even though we're in the presence of other believers. I'm not telling you to build a wall. I'm not telling you to keep people at an arm's distance and never trust them. No, we're going to talk about that in a second. What I'm telling you is if there's someone that you know is dealing with gossip, it's probably a bad idea to confide your secret in them. They shouldn't be gossiping in the church. You're exactly right. But every single person is at a different stage of their relationship with God. They're at a different maturity level. And we have to understand that when we walk in the building. Everybody, we want you here. We want you to grow. But the level of conversation for someone that's been saved for six months is different than someone who's been saved for 20 years. Why? Because there's some things that you understand as you've matured with the Lord. But you may not understand when you're new to us service. So why are church wounds so devastating? Everything hurts. All these wounds hurt. All the betrayals hurt. Why are the wounds that happen here in the church, not specifically here in our church, but in the church as a whole that you've experienced and I've experienced, why are they so devastating? I could come up with a whole bunch of reasons and and symptoms for it, but the, the, the bottom line, the summary of those wounds is this. Your best qualities are used against you. The church wounds are more bitter, in my opinion, than almost anything else. Why? Because your best qualities are used to cause you pain. <clears throat> what do you mean by that? Well, let's go through seven of them quickly. First one in your notes, next or next line in your notes is generosity. Generosity. How can generosity be used? Your your good-hearted generosity, your faithful obedience of generosity be used to cause you a wound. Let me give you just a quick example. You worked extra hours to be able to contribute financially to a cause of the church and the leadership misused the funds You did more work You made extra sacrifice You sold more widgets or whatever it is that you're involved in selling. You picked up extra shifts or a second job so that you could contribute because you believed in the cause and all that happened was that dude drove in with the latest year's Lexus. See what I mean? Your generosity can be used to cause you a wound. Trust, the next one, trust. What does it look like when your trust is used against you? It could look something like this. You took a risk and told someone your secret and they used it to gossip about you later. You stepped out just like you were instructed to do, just like you were encouraged to do by your pastor and leadership. Find someone, build a relationship, talk to them, share your struggles, share your burden with each other, and that person you had no idea was running off at the mouth all the time with the thing that you told them that was in confidence next one serving serving your heart to serve other people and serve the body of christ what did that look like when it used against you it could look like this i was tired and spent from a very long work week but showed up anyways to serve at the church i rearranged my entire schedule to make sure i was available on the days the church needed help and they didn't even care or acknowledge the sacrifice or worse yet, when I got there, it wasn't very organized and they double-booked me and I did all this other stuff to be there and they didn't even need me there. And then we're frustrated when I got frustrated. Next one, friendship. Friendship. <clears throat> I came to the church looking for real friends who would be good and a positive influence on in me and I saw... And what I saw were hypocrites who struggled with the same stuff I struggled with. I came here with an expectation that y'all were the good folks. Y'all were the people who were going to keep me on the straight and narrow. Y'all were going to, you know, we were going to go somewhere else besides to the places I've been going before. And then I connected with somebody who took me to the worst places than I went before. I thought I dropped my kid off at the youth group and they were going to be solved to this problem. But it got worse. Here's the big one, pastors, pastors. How can a gift to you be used to cause you pain? I believed what I was told about the Bible and found out later it didn't say what was presented and the pastor was using it to control and manipulate others for his own benefit. Anybody ever heard that story? Let me ask a deeper question. Anybody ever live that story? Yeah. Grace, the next one, Grace. I thought I would find forgiveness at church, and I admitted my struggle with a certain sin. Then the church people alienated me. Matt, did this happen? Absolutely. I watched it with my own eyes as an 18-year-old youth pastor in the Panhandle of Florida. When a girl left our youth group, she was... 17 years old and disappeared and she was one of the people that we all liked and a real big personality and she disappeared and came back several months later visibly pregnant and very unmarried she walked in the back of the building and sat down in the pew and next to two people that she knew from several months earlier and they looked at her looked at her stomach picked up all their belongings and moved to sit somewhere else because they couldn't be next to that wretched sitter. It happens. The last one's loyalty. Loyalty. How can that be used against you? I took the high road and didn't tell anybody about the concerns I had about that church. But they made me out to be the bad guy after I left. These are, this is not an extensive, exhaustive list of all the things that are good that can be abused in you or the good characteristics or the good expectations or the good um, uh, character traits that you want to exhibit when you come to a church that can be used against you. These types of wounds are especially bitter because... You had a great tool in your hand, someone turned and caused you pain with it. These types of wounds have multiple repercussions but we're only gonna talk about two. Number one in your notes, this is the Next next line. Unholy promises. Unholy promises. If you go to see a counselor, they will probably refer to these things as inner vows, but because we're specifically dealing with the church, and the church wounds today, I want to rebrand them as unholy promises. Faith, trust, safety, connection, service, sacrifice, generosity, thinking the best of others and things like that. We do these things in church, and when they are abused, We have a tendency to promise ourselves that we'll never participate in those areas again. What does an unholy promise sound like? There's four bullet points here for you. I'll never trust again. Let me get more specific. I'll never trust a church again. I'll never trust a pastor again. I'll never trust a person who said, They are a quote-unquote believer or Christian or follower of Jesus. I'll never trust them fools again. Unholy promises, the next one sounds like this. I'll never give again. I'll never give again. I know where that money went, and it was wrong. I know what they did with it, and it was unethical. I know where they spent it, and man, if I'd known that, I never would have done it. I helped the person with a ride, and then when I needed help, they didn't help me. I gave them my time, and when I asked for uh, reciprocity, it never came back. The giving is about money. There is a financial aspect to that, but also other aspects of your life and your time that were also misused. What's an unholy promise sound like? I'll never serve again. I'll never serve again. I will never go there and help out another place again. I don't care what you say. I don't care what denomination it is. I have seen how they how people treat their volunteers. They weren't personable. They were just a cog in the wheel. They were just used to drive the machine forward. And I'm not going to be a part of that nonsense anymore because I'm tired of being used and then left for nothing. It also sounds like I'll never believe again. I'll never believe in people. I'll never believe in that scripture. I'll never believe in that pastor. I will never believe in that Bible. I will never believe in that kind of God. I will never believe these people again. You can bring me here. You can force me to come. You can twist my arm. You can guilt me into coming to the service. It don't matter what you do. I'll never believe in those people again. I'll never believe what they have to say Again, these things are unholy promises. Promises I made to myself because of my wound. And when those wounds turn into unholy promises, they begin to bleed. And that bleeding turns into number two, which is a very deadly vice becoming cynical. Becoming cynical. cynicism is the blood that pours from untreated wounds um, if you're at a loss for how this sounds let me give you a couple of examples oh you're gonna go to fill in the blank church oh uh, I know it really goes on there probably shouldn't move along Oh, you're contributing to what? Oh, see, I already know where that money goes. So that's real cute and nice and your heart's real good and all. But I know what's going on. Oh, you're going to go and um, volunteer how much time? Because they don't care about you. I served there for fill in the blank years. They don't even know my last name. Recognize that? The reason that I can spout those off so quickly is not because I did good study, is because um, during the time where I had untreated church wounds and wounds that I left, purposely left gaping and bleeding out in my life, I became very good at being cynical. If cynicism was a Olympic sport, I would be on the medal stand Every time. I would not finish with the bronze or silver very often. I was really good. Because I wanted you to know that I was hurt. And I wanted you to know that I was bleeding. And I wanted you to know where that wound came from. And I didn't care if you sustained the same wound. There's a little piece of me that probably did. But I wanted you to know that I knew. Because I'm the one who got taken advantage of, and I was the one that felt stupid. It's like the salt in the wound after the wound, right? I feel dumb. How did I miss that? I wouldn't have let anybody else talk to me that way. I wouldn't have let anybody else... Treat me that way. I wouldn't let anybody else say that kind of stuff and take it as deep to heart as I did there. What was the matter with me? And then that extra little depth on top of the, the good thing that you had being used to cause you pain is now the fact that you're left looking and feeling wildly small. And every person, no matter your size, when you feel small, you immediately take on little person syndrome and start swinging because you don't want to be in that corner no more. That's cute that you want to go to church. That's oh, that that's cute. I don't do that anymore because I know what it's really like. See my wound. I know what they're really doing behind the scenes. Yeah, they all smile and stuff when they're up there, but in the back room, they're screaming and yelling and hollering at their church staff and all that kind of stuff. See my wound? What I thought was my wound being visible and being cynical would give me some satisfaction. But what it did was exposed that I was broken. Our culture has turned cynicism into a virtue. If you don't believe me, open Twitter for Twitter for 30 seconds. Snarky, cynical responses to people you don't even know because you can just lash out with the best of them. Bro, you're bleeding. The worst thing about those church wounds that lead to unholy promises that bleed out in cynicism and everything you do is that cynicism prevents us from acting in true love. 1 John 4, 7 and 8 Beloved, let us love one another for love is of God and anyone who loves knows God Those who don't love don't know God because God is love. And if your cynicism is controlling your actions, your attitude, your words, and more importantly, the direction of your heart, it is causing you to be, it's bleeding in your eyes and you're not able to see what you're supposed to be doing, which is loving people the way God loves them. When you have an opinion or a belief, no matter how it's shaped or how you thought you learned it, you take it back to the Bible and see if it stands the test of the standard. See how it holds up. All of us are very familiar with exactly how cynicism feels, how it sounds, how it's presented. Let's take that and put it right here on the left. And then on the right, let's read 1 Corinthians 13, 1 through 8. If I speak in the tongue of men or of angels but don't have love, I'm only a resounding gong or a clinging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give my body over to hardship that I might boast but don't have love, I gain nothing. Here's your list. Love is patient. Love is kind, it does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud, it does not dishonor others, it is not self-seeking, it's not easily angered, it keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil but rejoices in the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres, love never fails. I have never seen anyone who was dominated by cynicism act with these characteristics. Let's get real specific. Cynicism is patient. Nope. Cynicism is kind. Not not even close. Cynicism does not lead to envy. No, it does. Cynicism doesn't boast and is not proud. Nope. Fails the test. Does not dishonor others? No. Cynicism desires to dishonor others. It's not easily angered. It lives in anger. It keeps no record of wrongs. Are you kidding? If it forgot, then why am I bleeding? We cannot operate in the purity of God's love if every aspect of our life is drenched in the blood of cynicism. I'm going to tell you a a personal story that's a little funny and probably a little more gross than it is funny, so I'm just prepping you. Um... It has nothing to do with the food we've made tonight, because if Brian would have made it, it would have been good. I wouldn't have the story. But <clears throat> um, I went to a Denny's. It's not too far from here. Many years ago. Yeah, she knows where I'm going, right? I went to a Denny's. Um, some of you go, That's just stop the story right there, bro. That's all I needed to know is you went to Denny's, right? <clears throat> I went to Denny's several years ago. It's not too far from here. I won't point out the right one until after we're done with the live stream. I'll tell y'all where it was. 36th um, Street Bell. <coughs> um, um, I went there, and I waited 20 minutes to get in the door. I should have known better. should have left, went somewhere else. I waited 20 minutes at our seat to get a drink, and then the, the waiter quit, quit or left for the day, and then they moved us over to a different spot and waited 20 more minutes. So by this point, you know, I'm an hour in, and your normal thought would be what? Just leave, bro. But see, that's not me. I'm so stupid, like hard-headed, stubborn. I've, I've given an hour. I'm getting my stinking pancakes, right? Like those are, those are happening. I'm not wasting an hour for nothing. I already gave it, might as well just sit here and get it. So I ordered, and you know, I ordered a ham and cheese omelet and they come with pancakes. So I ordered ham and cheese omelet. And just let me ask you just a real basic elementary question. What color are cooked eggs? Yellow, right? What color is cheddar cheese? Yellow, yellow. A little darker, but yeah, but it's like still yellowish or orangish, right? Right, okay, cool. What color is cooked ham? Black. Black. <laughs> pink, there we go, pink. <clears throat> not bacon, not you overcooked bacon people again. Um, but like if you just take some ham and you chop it up, right, little chunks of ham, like you put in an anomaly, it's pink. Yellow, yellowish, orange, and pink, right? So as I took my second bite, I won't talk about the first one because I did. Yes, I did have one bite. That's my second bite. I forked into the middle of this omelet and cooked not on the plate, but cooked into the omelet was the biggest blue rubber band you've ever seen in your life. This bad boy was a half inch thick. It was sitting just right there in the mix. It wasn't just on the plate and somebody like was like going fast and slung my omelet on it. Oh no, bro, it was cooked into the eggs. this was nasty, right? So I went up to the front desk and the manager was real rude. You're going to have to wait, sir. I have a long line of people here that need to be served. I'm like, no problem. Because next to him was that bar you're supposed to sit at, the breakfast bar with the stools that don't move. You know what I'm talking about? So I just set it there and turned it so the big line of people who were trying to come to the restaurant could see. And then one by one, they would go, what is that? It's a rubber band. And they would leave and the next person would look and go And they would leave <clears throat> and The next person would look over and come over to me. What the heck? I'm like, yeah, there's a rubber band in my egg. oh my god And they would leave <clears throat> so the manager starts figuring out What's happening? Well, sir, can I help you? I said, yes, I just want to ask a question Does every ham and cheese omelet come with the optional blue rubber band because I did not order it and did not expect it to be in my omelette. And he goes, oh my gosh, let me get you another one. I'm going to get another one. No, bro, no. Take it off my bill and give me our check. I want to leave. I don't know what's going to happen to me if I keep eating here, right? Now, true story, kind of funny, mostly gross, right? I told you, lived up to the billing. Let's stop for a second. And let's say at that moment, I walked down into the parking lot and I said, that's it. I will never go to another restaurant ever again. Would I be ridiculous? Yes. Cause I wouldn't know about Little Miss, the best barbecue spot that's right down the road from me. Oh yes. Yeah, it's good. Oh, see, oh uh, yeah, yeah, I got an amen on that one. The whole message been quiet, now. I talk about Little Miss. Amen, brother. Amen. Amen. I wouldn't know about Enfuego Tacos. I wouldn't know about the, better, the best breakfast spot I've ever been, which is on 32nd Street and Thunderbird at the original breakfast house, right? <clears throat> if I were to walk out of there and be like, I went to a restaurant. It's nasty. I'm not going back to any of them. All of y'all would roll your eyes and be like, bro, you're being unreasonable. But with church wounds... People do that. Did I go to the original breakfast house and go to the chef and be like, bro, I had a horrible experience before. I do not want a blue rubber band in my omelet ever again and tell him how to cook it from there on out. If not, I was never coming back. Nope. Why? Just because something someone does something similar, doesn't mean the process or motive was the same. This is where we get stuck. The last place took an offering, and abused it. So every time I see somebody take an offering, I assume there's still a blue rubber band in the middle of it. It wasn't a one-off nasty encounter. If you told me you weren't going back to that one, I would agree, like I haven't been for 15 years. I may even avoid the franchise, the the type of restaurant, because I don't like the way they do it there. But I would have been denying myself the blessing of going somewhere else where they did it right. Does it mean that the place that I love over the pancake house has never had a, or the breakfast house has never had a hair fall in a, in, a, in a dish? No. Does it mean they've never made a mistake? Nope. But I guarantee you that I've never had an omelet from there that had a blue rubber band in the middle of it. <laughs> Similarity does not equal, does not equal the same motive in the same process, just because it looks the same doesn't mean the motive behind it is still evil. Just because someone else does something similar doesn't mean they're exactly like the one who caused me the wound. And if that is my take, there is a good Chance that I'm still bleeding. You might still be bleeding from that church wound if you flinch at offering time or discussions about money in the church. Full transparency there's a part of me that still tinges. Still twinges when we have to talk about it here. If you still roll your eyes at testimonies, mm-hmm. I've seen all those guys, I want to give honor to God and the, and the pastor and the mother of the church and every, all of y'all and all this stuff and God changed my life and gave me a new job this week and all this kind of stuff. Bro, I know what they've really been doing. I will not let them people stand up there and be doing all that nonsense. It's just garbage. If you still roll your eyes at the testimony of God delivering someone else, you might still be bleeding. If you only participate on a surfacey level, refuse to get deep involved in anything that your next church or next fellowship of believers does. If you refuse to get involved in it past a certain depth, you might still be bleeding. If you send your spouse or family to the event, because you can't stand being reminded of what you used to do in the church. We want to help. We want to be represented, but I ain't going again because I know exactly what happens when you go do X, Y, and Z. I've been through that. Might still be bleeding. If you look for ways to complain because you were optimistic before and you have made a promise that you'll never be optimistic again, You might be still bleeding. If you have allowed cynicism to replace your faith, you might still be bleeding. I want to quickly remind us of something as we kind of draw towards the end of the message here today. Our dependency, our dependency. Many of us, good-hearted, well-intentioned, wanting to serve, we allowed our dependency to be on the church 501c3 organization and the people who directed it instead of on Jesus. Why did it hurt so bad? Because I thought serving them was serving God. Oh, my friend. That's what we call idolatry. If your faith is doing good, as long as Matt's faith is doing good, my friend, you put me in a dangerous position and you are living, living in a way that is setting you up to be hurt again. I'm not going to do something on purpose to try to hurt you won't do it on purpose. Will I do something or say something stupid that might cause you some kind of pain? Probably because I'm human. I'm not asking you to let it to, to just brush over it and never say it to me. Come and tell me. Come and tell our board members, come tell Ryan, come tell Sellu, come tell Nina, come tell Brian or Sandy, come tell somebody so I can then come and make it right with you. But the reason the enemy uses this specifically is because if you have been given a tool that will fix almost every situation you face, if you have been given the tool or the gift of generosity, the gift of a servant's heart, the gift of teaching, the gift of whatever that is, you've been given a gift. Once you get hurt with it, the tendency is for you to put it down, put it in the toolbox and say, I'm not bringing that out again. And if you do that, the enemy wins. He has convinced you that the best thing about you is going to cause you pain. So put that good thing away. It's his way of deceiving you into impotence. If your generosity has been used against you, I want to remind you something from the word Proverbs 11, 24 through 25. One person gives freely, it gains even more. Another withholds unduly, but becomes to, but comes to poverty. A generous person will prosper. Whoever refreshes another will be refreshed. Does that say that if you give to some place and they use your financial contribution correctly, that only then will God honor your gift? Or does it promote your heart to remain generous no matter what? Don't put your tool, your gift of generosity away. Trust. If your trust has been used against you, I want you to remember Proverbs 3 5, and 6. Trust in the church, trust in the pastor, trust in the church staff, trust in people with the title of Christian. No, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not depend on your own understanding. Seek his will in all you do, and he will show you the path to take. Your trust may have been abused, but it has not been abused by the one you're supposed to put all your trust and hope in, and that is Jesus. Don't put your tool and your gift of trustworthiness away. Serving. If your serving has been used against you, 1 Peter 4:10, God has given each of you a gift from his great variety of spiritual gifts. Use them well to serve one another. Does that say use them well to serve only certain people that you deem worthy of receiving your gift? No. It says serve them well. Serve all of them. Don't put that tool and that gift of service away. Friendship. Your friendship has been abused. Ecclesiastes 4.12, a person standing alone can be attacked and defeated, but two can stand back to back and conquer. Three are even better, for a triple-braided cord is not easily broken. If you isolate, because I know what all y'all church fools are about. I have gone in there and I don't fit in with any of y'all. I don't see what I can do with any of you guys. I don't see how you can help me. I don't see how any of that's going to work. If that is you and you are isolating and standing off by yourself, you are vulnerable to be picked off by the enemy. Don't stay alone because one person or two people badmouth you or talk bad about you in the church. Go back to the point of friendship. What is that point? That point is so that you are together and that you do the things that God has put inside of your heart to do that will honor him and you will conquer what is in front of you. Pastors, ooh, the big one. Matthew 23, 8 through 10. Listen to what this says. Don't let anyone call you rabbi, for you have one teacher. And all of you are what? Equal as brothers and sisters. Don't address anyone here on earth as father, for only God in heaven is your father. And don't let anyone call you teacher, for you only have one teacher, the Messiah. Do not let anyone put you and do not put me or anyone else who stands and teaches here to you in a position where you submit to them more than you submit to God. Because if the person you're submitting to asks you to do something that is against scripture or dishonors God, is against what you know his teachings to be, if I or anybody else who was who is, who is, in the title of pastor comes to you and tries to elevate myself as you have to ask me before you get married you have to ask me before you go be obedient to what god has put in your heart to do you have to get my permission before you take the job you have to get my sign off before you move and go somewhere else and i have to know exactly where you're going i am putting myself in a position of rabbi father teacher above you and i am out of line why you Have one teacher. We, as equals, have one teacher. And his name is Jesus. It is not Matt or Ryan or whatever pastor that might have caused spiritual abuse in your life. Direct your attention to where it should be. And that is to him. Last two, grace. Ephesians 4 31 and 32 get rid of all bitterness rage anger harsh words and slander as well as all types of evil behavior instead be kind to each other tender-hearted forgiving one another just as God through Christ has forgiven you I used to be able to forgive really easily Matt but then I got wounded by somebody in the church and I will never forget that again unholy promise cynicism and it is encouraging you to take your gift of forgiveness and the gift of grace and hide it and that gift is supposed to be given to you to be used for his representation and his glory last one loyalty second timothy 2 through 13 through 14 if we are unfaithful he remains faithful For he can not deny who he is. Remind everyone about these things and command them in God's presence to stop fighting over words. Such arguments are useless and they can ruin those who hear them. What's the first part of that? Even though we are unfaithful, including the people you may have trusted that called themselves Christians, they may have been unfaithful, but the one who matters, the one you call teacher, the one you call Lord, has never not been faithful to you. All of your hope, all of your faith, all of your trust needs to reside in him. Do not permanently retire your God-given gift or godly character because you sustained a wound. I'm going to say that again. Don't permanently retire your God-given gift or godly character because you sustained a wound. Heal and go back to using your gift with a new level of wisdom. Wisdom is not cynicism. Wisdom is knowledge correctly applied. And if you are operating in cynicism, my friend, you are still bleeding. So now what? We all got church wounds. You could be sitting here going, Matt, I thought this was... I was over this, We kind of picked the scab a little bit here. If we picked into that scab that you've been having for the last nine years and there's still blood underneath it, it's not healed. If you've been wounded... By somebody in the church, somebody who wore the title of pastor or church staff or church leader or Christian or brother and sister in Christ. I want to be the first one to tell you, man, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. It's vicious. It's bitter. It's hurtful. But if you don't heal and do the work of healing, if you don't forgive if you don't let it go, if you don't stop replaying the thing over and over in your mind, if you don't stop rehearsing the speech that you're gonna give just at the right time so that you can show them that I know what's going on here and I'm gonna chop you off at the knees. You can't hurt me anymore, I'm already hurt, I'm gonna hurt you. If you can get past those things, leave it at the foot of the cross and ask God himself to heal your broken heart like we talked about last week, to bind up your wound and And to realize that you're just in a room full of people who are imperfect who yes we are all supposed to be chasing god yes we are all supposed to be serving god yes we are all supposed to be serving each other with our gift but at some point in time somebody in this room or whatever church you go to in the future is going to cause you a wound and you are not going to have to just forgive once you are going to have to grow and develop the characteristic of continual forgiveness because you live in an unperfect and a broken world. So we can be known as a gathering of wounded people who continue to bleed on each other, or we can be known as people who are healed, whole, and free to do everything that God lays in front of us to do.